Lord, we thank you for what you have done for us. We thank you for, for the protection that you give to us. As that first song says, he hideth my soul. And as we study your word about the shield of faith, let us remember that you are that shelter. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians 6.16 says, In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So far we've looked at three pieces of armor. First was a belt of truth which was used to hold things in place. We also saw that Jesus is that truth we must put on. Second, we saw the breastplate of righteousness. This is a righteousness that is not our own. It was given to us when we trust in Christ as our Savior. Third, we saw the shoes of the gospel of peace. We saw that because we have peace with God, we can experience the peace of God. In fact, we see that Jesus is our peace. He is our peace because he paid for our sins. And he established peace between us and God. He also gives us that calm assurance that no matter what circumstances we may find ourselves in, we can rest with confidence in his provision for us. So far, these three pieces of armor we wear into battle. We put them on. The shield of faith we carry into battle. It's not something you wear. But it is something we must carry. I wanted to go back to the uh, Full Armor of God site and read what they're saying about the practical military purpose of the shield of faith to the Roman soldier. This is what he says, or what it said on this site. The Romans had a long, rectangular, knees-to-chin shield, which protected from arrows and spears and could be knelt behind during an arrow barrage. It was quite a bit heavier than the clumsier and clumsier than the smaller Greek circular shield. But there was a series of exercises, a manual of arms designed to give the soldier the flexibility and strength in the use of the shield. Groups of soldiers who were besieging a town could form close together and hold their shields over their heads to make a huge circle to protect the group from fiery arrows. That's a kind of an interesting picture to think of. The shield was the Roman's equivalent 
of heavy armor. If you think back, nowadays we use armored personnel carriers. Then they had a shield. You could say it was like going into battle in a tank. The formations the Romans used, as described, in, described earlier, was called the turtle. Think of the way a turtle looks. That's the way the shields were supposed to be held together. A portable shelter. It was a shelter from arrows that were shot by the enemy. And these arrows didn't come one at a time, but in a barrage. They'd come in from all directions. Some of the arrows would be poison-tipped in hopes that if the arrow just cut the skin of the soldier, he would die. Some of them were tipped in pitch and set on fire so that they would try to set the soldiers on fire and create panic in the ranks. Isn't that the way Satan tries to attack us? He tries to stir up panic. It's important for us to understand that possessing the shield, the possession of the shield, is we are to take up the shield of faith, as it says in verse 16. It says, in addition, taking up the shield of faith. It's not something that God just drops in our laps we must actively take up this shield of faith. The Roman soldiers had special exercise to strengthen their muscles and give them practice holding up this big unwieldy chunk of metal and leather. They needed to practice, they needed to practice, and they needed to practice again. And just about when their arms felt like they were going to fall off, they even practiced more. And the reason they did this was because they knew their lives depended on that shield. And it's the same for us in the spiritual perspective. This physical practice that the Romans exercised with their shield is the same spiritual exercise we must practice with our spiritual shield of faith. We need to build up the spiritual muscles with prayer. Hang on with prayer, study, and fellowship. We will only see our faith grow as we practice and practice and then practice some more. The purpose of the shield, again, is in verse 16. It is to quench 
the fiery darts or the arrows that Satan is throwing at us. The Romans would wet the leather on their shields to put out the flames as they hit the shield. From a spiritual perspective, what quenches the fire of Satan's attacks is the assurance that we have based on the work of Christ. We have an assurance that this work is complete and there is nothing missing from the shield. Satan tries to attack us in different ways. One way is with subtlety. He tries to deceive us and lead us down the wrong path. In this case, the belt of truth is important. But so is our shield of faith because if we don't believe the truth, we are going to be led astray. So again, we must trust in Christ. He also tries to overwhelm us with a barrage of difficulties. And in this case, Satan is not subtle at all. He will send a storm of trouble so thick it will seem like it blots out the sun. There are times in my life I remember, and there are times each one of us probably remember facing where it just seemed like there was no hope at all. That there was just, why bother? But the point of the matter is, God will sustain us. And that's when our faith grows, when we see his protection. Now the position of the shield is actually seen in two ways. First, where do I place my shield for protection? If we're taking shelter behind the shield, then the proper position for the shield is in front of us, between us and danger. There's a problem with the strategy, though. If I'm standing here with my shield like this, and they're all over me, and they're sending arrows from every direction, that shield is not going to be much protection at all. And be very certain, Satan will attack from every possible direction. Actually, the Romans did have a solution to this problem. They locked their shields together, so they overlapped and protected from every direction. The shield was b- Paul was describing, he was describing it for this very purpose. He wanted us to understand that it's not the lone soldier standing out in front. It is the shield that is exercised in community. And that's where Sunday school went this morning. We talked a lot about exercising our gifts in community. Well, the other thing is we need to learn to exercise our faith in community. We need to pray together, trust together, work together. That is why the author of the book of Hebrews exhorts us to forsake 
not the assembling of ourselves together. I want to read Hebrews 10, 22 to 25. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed pure with water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate. I like the King James. It says provoke. We're supposed to provoke each other. We're supposed to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Again, this is exercising our faith in community. Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the author is telling us the best way to exercise our faith is together. It's with each other. We stand shoulder to shoulder against the enemy. Second, what do I place my faith in as a shield for protection? This is an interesting one because there are so many times we think we got it right and it's just not there. There's one lesson I've had to learn over and over and over again and I still have to learn it at times. I hold out my faith as a shield only to get beaten up. And why? Because my faith is in faith. And that may sound a little absurd, but you know what? It's not my faith. Because if it's my faith, it's me. And if it's me, then I have a serious case of I problem. Not E-Y-E, but I. You see, I would succeed if I believed. In other words, I am trusting in myself. So faith in faith itself is not what we need for protection. I know. I'll quote the scripture at a problem. After all, it's God's word, right? Again, this is wrong. Wait a minute, this is the Bible we're talking about. These are God's promises. How can you say that the word is not it? Well, the word itself is God's promise to us. I agree. But we also have to consider what James says in James 4, verse 3, where it says, You ask and you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. See, our faith, by quoting scriptures, these proof verses, so to speak, is not where it's at either. Our faith cannot be just in that. It's interesting, when Jesus was tempted by Satan, and I'm going to look at Luke 
chapter 4, verses 9 to 12, Jesus actually quotes the scripture the right way. And he led, and Satan led him up to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your feet against a stone. Here, man, I'll tell you, Satan's quoting scripture. I'll tell you, when Satan quotes scripture, that's a bad thing. He knows the scriptures. And he knew that what he said was accurate. That God wouldn't let Jesus fall. But what does Jesus answer? He says, and he answers him and said, you will not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan's scripture quote was a poison. Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 6.16 here, and he used this scripture skillfully and in obedience. And those are two key components of when we look to the scriptures as our shield. That is why Paul told Timothy to study. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth. So what is the answer? Where am I to place my faith? Well, the answer is also in Hebrews 10. If we look at verse 23, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. In other words, our shield of faith is he who is faithful. Who is that? Jesus. So when we put our faith in the one who is faithful to us, in the one who provided for us before we even knew we had a need, in the one who came and died for us, when we put our trust in him, we have a shield that we can get behind. Second Timothy 2.13 says this, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Now here's an interesting thing. When you think about this, see, it's not my faith. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 say, by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. In other words, our very faith is a gift of God. But here we see that the genuine working of the shield of faith, what makes it work, is not my faith, but the faithfulness of God. 
He is faithful. As a matter of fact, He will protect us even when we don't look for it, even when we don't ask for it. But we will never grow. You see, when the, sh- when the shield of faith protects us from Satan's attacks, it will protect us from Satan's attacks. But it should build up our faith. But if we are not exercising our faith, if we are not looking for the protection, we won't see it happen, and our faith won't grow. We must actively seek by faith. We must, again, practice our faith. And I know I'm beginning to sound like a broken record talking about practice and practice and practice. You know, the first three good rules of teaching, there are three. Repetition, repetition, repetition. Well, it's not just the three R's, but it's also the three P's. Practice, practice, practice. They are the same thing. It's important for us to understand the best way to grow your faith is to practice your faith. Every time you make a conscious effort to trust God for your need, He'll provide that need. In addition to providing the need, you will see the answer and your faith will grow. So always be actively asking for answers. Always be actively looking for those answers. And always be willing to accept the answer God gives. Paul said, Lord, let this thorn be taken away from me. Lord, let this thorn be taken away from me. He kept asking. And what was God's answer? My grace is enough. So Paul finally accepted that answer. There are times when the answer we get may not be the answer we want. But we must be willing to accept God's answer. By doing this, our faith will grow and our fears will go. In Genesis 15, we see God telling Abram, I am your shield to you. This happened right after Abram rescued his nephew Lot and the people from Sodom and Gomorrah. When the king, of so- the king of Sodom told Abram to return the people and keep all the spoils, Abraham said he wouldn't take so much as a shoelace, lest the king make a claim. He made Abram rich. Right after that battle, God comes to him in Genesis 15, 1-6 and says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram, in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. 
I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me, since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given me no offspring, one born of my house is not one not born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and he said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars. You know what? We're still counting. (laughs) And we haven't found all of them yet. (laughs) If you are able to count them, he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. So what was Abram's first question when God said, I'm your shield? He said, the heir is not my own son. Who am I supposed to leave this reward to? You know, if it was me, I would have said, you just can't please everybody. (laughs) And there are some people you just can't please. (laughs) That's not how God saw it. He saw Abram's faith beginning to grow. Abram trusted God for the shield and the reward and asked, who am I supposed to leave this reward to? God rewarded that question with an even greater promise. Abram, you will have a son and your descendants will be so numerous you won't even be able to count them. So that starting faith of trusting God to be his shield, faith, his shield, and faith, his reward. And he said, okay, you're going to give it to me. What am I going to do with it? And God rewards him even more. Now the potential of the shield is something else we need to look at. I know I'm running over, but that's okay. I usually don't. How confident would you be in a shield that only stopped half the arrows coming at you? (laughs) Yeah, that's what I thought. You know, if I had a shield like that, I'd throw it away because it would make me a bigger target. But the potential of the shield of faith that God gives us is, again, in verse 16, in addition to taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. See, God isn't going to protect us from this danger and not that one. God's not going to let us walk over a cliff here, but he's going to protect us from something else over here. God will protect us from all the flaming arrows 
If we are walking in faith, we are walking in God's protection from every danger. That is the kind of shield I can get behind, literally. Whatever Satan throws at me, whatever fear he may try to distract me with, my shield of faith will protect me. Or I should say, our shield of faith will protect us. In addition to providing a shelter from all the flaming arrows, the shield of faith gives us the bold confidence in the victory to come. 1 John 5, 4-6 says this, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Or whoever is, no, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the one who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. So we see that we have the Holy Spirit in us, testifying and encouraging our faith and helping our faith to grow. And what is it? It is a confidence that the battle has been won. It's not just that I'm going into battle. Yes, I am in the battle. But you know what? I'm standing here and somebody else has already won the battle for me. And that somebody is Jesus. The most important battle he won was when he got up from the grave and said, I'm alive. And then he went around to the disciples and said, I'm alive. And then the Holy Spirit came on the disciples. And they started walking in a new life. You see, the promise of John here is not that we sort of huddle and you know, just barely win the victory. No, we are overcomers. It's like a football game where the te one team wins with overwhelming numbers. Like, what was it this last weekend? Or on Thanksgiving, there was one that was like 30 to 7 or something like that. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But the point of the matter is, our victory is not going to be by a bare margin. It is overwhelming. Right after Jesus died on the cross, first thing that happened is disciples went into hiding, and they walked in fear. When he rose from the dead, his disciples had great joy, but they were still timid until they were filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And then what happened? When the Holy Spirit filled them, 
they boldly proclaimed Christ. And the sermon Peter preached that day brought 3,000 to the Lord. One message. 3,000 came to Christ. When the Spirit is working, He doesn't just give by a small measure. He gives pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing. Now the protection of the shield of faith is how, or if you will, what it is that he's protecting us from. I wanted to look at the first temptation to get a look at two of Satan's most frequently used darts and how he used them. So the first temptation is in Genesis 3, 1 to 5. I'm going to read the passage. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said, You will not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die. For God knows that the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. The first dart he uses here was doubt. He starts off with a question. Has God said? And you know, this question is a rather insidious question. When you think about it, he's saying, has God given you every good thing? What about that fruit over there? God's holding something back. Is he really good? That's really what he was saying. He wanted to get Eve to start doubting the goodness of God. And then he says, oh, you won't die. And not only that, but then he turns this doubt into an out-and-out blatant lie and accusation. God must be evil because he doesn't want you to be like him. That's what he was saying. We hear the same kinds of things today. Well, if God is so good, why does evil exist? See, he sugarcoats this lie, this big poisonous lie, with that sugarcoating of doubt. And that's where the shield of faith protects us most. Because our faith is confidence in God. Our faith is trust. Our faith is understanding that God is good. That everything he does for us is for our good. 
and our faith can help us do more than just muddle through. I want to read Romans 5, 3 through 5. I'm going to talk about this a little bit in closing here. It says, I'm using the Holman Christian Standard Bible this time for translation. I like the way it's worded here. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Even in our most difficult situations, our shield of faith tells us this. As I go through the deep waters, holding up my shield of faith, I gain endurance. As I gain endurance, my character grows. I grow stronger. I become more and more like Christ. I understand the true meaning and object of our hope. Our hope is not just eternal life. It is also eternal fellowship with someone who loved us like no one else can. As our hope grows, we get a glimpse of what Paul saw when he said, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Our hope in Christ will never disappoint us, because he pours his love into us, and we become more like him. It's like a feedback loop. You've all heard the results of a feedback loop. When somebody turns the mic up a little bit too high and the speaker starts screaming, well, what's happening there is the microphone picks up the sound from the speakers, the amplifier amplifies it, it gets louder, the mic picks up the louder sound, and it keeps going until you have to turn the mic down. (coughs) His love builds up in our hearts, and it builds up in our hearts and it builds up in our hearts, and we become more like him, and we become more like him, and as his love builds up into our hearts, it spills out to all those we come in contact with. That's what he wants of us. That's what he wants our shield to be. Something that we can hold up and be protected from the doubt Satan wants to throw at us, and have a confidence in him that will give us an increased love for those around us. That they may visibly see this love and see that we are genuinely transformed people and want what we have. And that's where I want to close. I know I ran over, but... <laughs>